The game is really moving along now, but I think our peaches have run into trouble. In the movie, Kit clashes with her teammates, and Dottie accidentally has her traded to Racine. We certainly won't let guest Paul Francis Sullivan get away. But before we hear what he thinks of the movie, we're actually not going to check in on the current state of baseball this week. Uh, the current state of baseball is weird, as is everything this year. There are games going, but there are a lot of games that have been postponed and postponed and postponed because a lot of people are getting sick, which obviously is not lighthearted and fun, and it's kind of a bummer. But I would encourage people to enjoy things like Mike Trout and Shohei Otani hitting home runs. And instead of a sarcastic clip, I wanted to quickly read the poem by Jessica Salfia, S-A-L-F-I-A. It went viral a million years ago at the beginning of quarantine. And it's called The First Lines of Emails I've Received While Quarantining. In these uncertain times, as we navigate the new normal... Are you willing to share your ideas and solutions? As you know, many people are struggling. I know you are up against it, the digital landscape. We share your concerns. As you know, many people are struggling. We hope this note finds you and your family safe. We've never seen anything like this before. Here are 25 distance learning tips. As you know, many people are struggling. Feeling fiesta today? Happy Taco Tuesday! Calories don't count during a pandemic. Grocers report flour shortages as more people are baking than ever. As you know, many people are struggling. Count your blessings, share your blessings. Get free curbside pickup or ship to your house. Chicken, lemon, artichokes. As you know, many people are struggling. How are you inspiring greatness today? We have a cure for your cabin fever. Pandemic dial-in town hall tonight. As you know, many people are struggling. Mother's Day looks a little different this year. You're invited to shop all jeans for 50% off. Yes, buy one, get one free. As you know, many people are struggling. Call us to discuss a loan extension without penalty. Act now. Tell Congress charters should not line their pockets during the COVID crisis. Now shipping face masks as recommended by the CDC. As you know, many people are struggling. This is not normal. Keep battling as we return to the action here at the top of the set. All right, today's lineup we have myself, Rachel Mummert, and Tierney. Hi. And we have Paul Sullivan with us today. How are you? Should we do the please call him Sully? <laughs> if you want to, you can call me Sully. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I started listening to you on Locked on MLB, where that is your introduction to every episode. You have me well-trained by this point. <laughs> I do my best. I've been saying that, please call me Sully, for a long time. The reason why I go by my full name, Paul Francis Sullivan, is that the Chicago Tribune, one of the head baseball writers for the Chicago Tribune, is also named Paul Sullivan. And when oh, I started wow. doing my blog, I would get an occasional comment. It's funny you say this in your blog, but you said the exact opposite thing on the Chicago Tribune. And... I'm like, what, what? And then I looked up and I realized, oh, they think I'm the same person. So I went by my full name, but that sounds so pretentious. And so I threw the please call me Sully as a sort of a way to disarm how pretentious my name is. There's a method to my madness there. <laughs> There's a method to some madness going on in this scene. I did not know until listening to the commentary, which features Lori Petty, that Kit is number 23, speaking mm -hmm. of Chicago, because <laughs> yes. of Michael Jordan. Yes. Oh, there you go. <laughs> She's a fan. They got to pick their numbers. So she picked 23. And when this scene starts, she's not doing too well. No, nope. no. Speaking of 23s in baseball. Yeah. <sighs> That's mean. That's a cheap shot. That's a cheap shot. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, this is the, uh, as a Boston Red Sox fan, this is the Grady Little moment of this game <laughs> where for those who don't understand that reference, very famously in the 2003 playoffs when the Red Sox were on the verge of defeating the Yankees, Pedro Martinez was the best pitcher on the Red Sox, but he famously would tire out after about 100 pitches. And for reasons that are unknown to scientists, poets, historians, and sociologists, 
uh, Grady Little came out and we all thought he was going to take him out of the, the game and he left him in to get pounded <laughs> and for re- and, and, and no one understood why. And while it was happening, everyone, including myself, was screaming at TV, why is he still in the game? Until eventually he let up the tying hit and the Red Sox would lose the game in the 11th and it ultimately cost the manager his job. And in that, he came out and he asked the pitcher, how are you doing? And of course, Pedro is a competitor. He said, oh, I'm going to get it. Let me finish it. And he said, oh, I looked in his eyes and I thought he would compete. Well, yeah, but we all saw he was dead. And yeah. we all wish that he did what Jimmy does is turn to the catcher and say, what do you think? And she says, uh, what was it? She's, she's throwing grapefruits, which I love. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. Sometimes uh, Kit doesn't understand that it's not a, I mean, at that, certainly at that point in baseball, the idea of not finishing the game was a, a sign of, for the lack of a better word, you know, machismo. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're, you're, you're there to win the game. You know, bring in, bring in, uh, bring in spaghetti to, to finish the game out. And I think part of that is her competition, or she sees it as a competition with Dottie. You know, she wants to. That's not to- a great, uh, uh, not a great thing when the pitcher and catcher feel like they're in competition with each other. <laughs> yeah, because she wants to be like Dottie. I mean, she wants people to look at her at like like they do with Dottie. Yeah. And it's so frustrating because the crowd is on her side. Like oh, you yeah. said, Sully, like it was much more common for people to pitch whole games in this mm-hmm. era, in the league. Infamously, I don't know how to say her maiden name, but Dottie Wilts. W-I-L-T-S-E? Collins? Mm-hmm. Collins, yeah. I can say. Collins is much easier. <laughs> Dottie Collins pitched both ends of a doubleheader and won both games. Right. Man. Now, granted, in women's games, usually the second, I think it was the second or the first, one of the games was only seven innings, but still. Yeah. But oh, still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but the crowd's on her side. No one's like booing her or yelling about it. The only yeah. thing someone yells is nice job, Kit. <laughs> yeah. And even then I was like, hey, they're on, like you said, they're, they're sticking up for you. They like you. <laughs> You did a good job. (laughs) They clinched a playoff spot, and uh, you know, Spaghetti gets the uh, Betty Spaghetti gets the the last out. The uh, shortstop does a cartwheel, and uh, (laughs) and the where the 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 Rockford fans seem to love it. I mean, I think that you know, I mean, I'm going to get into a bigger problem I have with this entire movie, but this is one of the uh, 78 scenes in the film where I'm just really mad at her. I'm mad at Kit. I'm just like. Uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm gonna go there a little bit later because, but right now we're just breaking down some parts of the scene. But yeah, yeah uh, I'm I have issues with Kit, and especially in this, like, yeah, you, the job is to win the game, and they won the game, a game that she got the victory for as a pitcher. You yeah. know, I mean, it's one thing to be competitive, but it's another thing to cause you know to cause a ruckus. And, uh, oh, she's going to cause a ruckus. Oh, she <laughs> cause a ruckus. Now, granted, granted, you know, Doris provoked a couple of things here, but at the same time, take a little ribbing and, or like, or like yeah. just sort of smile and do a comeback and, you know, no need to turn it into what turns into a giant fiasco. It just should have been, you know, Doris is a ball buster and she was going to bust her balls and, and, you know, so to speak. That's the yeah. thing I noticed. She's seen how <laughs> Doris and May tease each other throughout this whole yeah. movie. Exactly. This is actually a sign that Doris now feels like Kit is one of the gang. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this, she probably thought Doris thought this was a sign of friendship. And instead, it turns into mm-hmm. a full-on, you know, as a baseball fan, this will remind me a little bit of, uh, boy, I'm, I'm going to get very specific here, Rachel. This is when you bring me on to the, the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to say stuff like this. But the Oakland A's won the pennant in 1972, the year I was born. And they were a team that won the World Series three straight years. It, they were the greatest argument against, you need to have team unity to win. Because everyone seemed to hate each other on this team. They were always fighting each other. <laughs> and it it was such a tense place that they won the pennant. They go to the World Series for the first time since they arrived in Oakland. Okay? And for the first time since before this movie takes place, the A's franchise hadn't gone to the World Series since the 30s when they were in Philadelphia. And now they're in Oakland. And they it should be like the crowning achievement moment for this one-time downtrodden team. And what do you think happened in the clubhouse during the celebration? 
a fight broke out. And, <laughs> Sorry. And part of the reason why a fight broke out is that someone, the, the pitcher for the A's, Blue Moon Autumn, had to be removed from the game because he, well, he didn't have it after five innings. And I can't remember who, but someone came up to him and said, like, I know what I had to lift you from the game. And he made a choking symbol, like he was a choker. <laughs> and the two of them got into a massive fist fight in the middle of the locker room in Detroit as they're celebrating going to the World Series for the first time since FDR's first year in office. This reminded me of that specifically. They clinched the, the Rockford's going to go to the yeah. the the playoffs, and there's such dissent in the team that you know a fight breaks up. But the fight's because of Kit. You know, I literally had the note in this where because I was like, all right, if we're running out of things to talk about, I'll just pull you guys on best bench clearing brawls, and then I put in parentheses, <laughs> not usually after the game and between teammates, but apparently, yeah, yeah. Penny Marshall was spot on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this. Uh, I mean, I, I have some bigger issues, but Lowell, I, I, that's just. I wanted to bring up, if nothing else, bring up the '72 American League Championship Series and the Oakland A's <laughs> hating each other so much they broke into a fight. I was gonna say, if you're holding that in reserve for bench clearing brawls, I, I, you know, the Reds had a couple of <laughs> pretty good ones this past season. I can hold on to so. Oh, we're in the one-year anniversary, the day we're recording this, the one-year anniversary of the day that Cincinnati outfielder Yasiel Puig decided to take on oh, the Pittsburgh yes. Pirates, the whole team. The whole team. <laughs> that was terrifying. Like, I would be like, if I saw Puig running at me like that, I yeah. would just stop, drop, and roll. Like, I... <laughs> play dead! Yeah. Play dead! <laughs> he is a... Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a wonderful I thing. I would never forget that. He took on the whole team. He tried. Yeah. <laughs> Happened twice that season, yeah, both with the Pirates. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I saw a bench clearing brawl in person once. I saw oh, it wow. was actually it was actually in Detroit. My father and I used to take baseball trips, and so we went to a game at Tiger Stadium. And it was between the Tigers and Toronto in 1991. And then both teams were good, and there were a lot of people who came over the bridge from. Ontario and the place Tiger Stadium was absolutely packed. It was the old rickety ballpark that's now demolished. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, it's going to sound like I'm doing play by play, but there's a reason I'm going to tell you what happened in the first few <laughs> batters. So the place is jam packed. My father and I are there and we found out we got the wrong date. This, this is something that can't happen anymore. We got, we were there on the wrong day. Like our tickets were somewhere sitting in our seats. Why are you sitting in our seats? We look at, oh, we're supposed to be on Sunday. We're there on a Saturday. Now they would scan it, but back then they just tore your ticket and you walked in. So my dad and I are nervous. Mm -hmm. They could kick us out of the stadium. So, well, let's find an empty seat and just sit here until someone kicks us out. The first batter of the game was a batter named Devon White, who played for the Blue Jays. The first pitch was a ball. The second pitch, he hit into the stands for a home run. The next batter was Roberto Alomar, their star second baseman. First pitch, he saw the third pitch of the game. He hit a home run. Upstep Joe, upstep <laughs> Joe Carter. The fourth pitch of the game went at his head. Oh. The bench is cleared, and they had a massive fight like right between the mound and home plate. Oh, man. And I turned to my dad oh, and I said, if they throw us out, four pitches in, we've seen two home runs at a bench clearing brawl. We're, we're okay. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we've got our money's worth in this game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and fortunately, my fa my father slipped a uh, usher a couple of bucks and he kept going. I think there's an empty seat over there as so he pushed us over there. And <laughs> in the uh, sixth or seventh inning, uh, Morgana the Kissing Bandit. Do you know who Morgana the Kissing Bandit was? She no. was a blonde-haired woman who had a uh, who was well endowed. She had a uh, uh, diplomatic. She, had, she uh, <laughs> um she uh, was ample. There was, there was a, there was, you could do Shakespeare on the balcony. I think you understand what she's saying. <laughs> and she was famous for going to sporting events and running on the field and running top of speed in a, you know, tight white shirt. I didn't know her oh name my. was Morgana. Yeah, Morgana. I just <laughs> saw something on her. And she would try to plant a kiss on one of the players. And she made a beeline for John Olrud, the first baseman of the Blue Jays, who looked over and I think he crapped his pants and he ran out into right field because he didn't know what the heck was going on. And so she, you know, she went to plan B 
And she ran right up to Roberto Alomar, future Hall of Famer, who was there with his arms wide open, like, come here, baby. And um, <laughs> she, planted a ki- she planted a kiss on the future Hall of Famer. And, of course, the police come out and she gets arrested and everyone's a standing <laughs> ovation. And we were not supposed to be in Tiger Stadium that day. But, man, that was so, that was quite a day to not be there. So, yeah. So, <laughs> what a day. That was wow. quite a day. That's quite a day. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's a... It's not a bench-clearing brawl in the movie. It's two players tussling, and I do love that May and Dottie shove each other as yeah. they're both yelling at the other one to get their respective sister off each other. <laughs> yeah, get your sister off. Get you Stay out of it. Get off her. You know, that was... A- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Tom Hanks did drop Lori Petty on her butt. She, you know, when she says, uh, my butt's bruised where Jimmy dropped me, <laughs> yeah. that was, apparently was the sensation she was very much feeling at the moment. <laughs> And yeah. what I love is that I had taken notes while watching the movie, like, this is the best writing of all the other girls. Everyone's got their thing. And, you know, that is what happens when there's a fight. And, like, someone's trying to explain what happened. It's like, just shut up. You're not helping. Just yeah. everyone go take a shower. Let's all move <laughs> on. And what I found out listening to the commentary is that all that was improvised, basically. Well, they, like, could- Penny Marshall just said, stay in character. There's been a fight going to the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it had that rhythm to it. I mean, that doesn't surprise yeah. me that it had it had a very real rhythm to it. And the, what was the last line? She reminds me of my husband. And uh, <laughs> there's some great dialogue in this minute. I didn't even mention the the fact that when Jimmy first comes out, she says, uh, I'll, "I'll get this turkey out, or I'll throw this turkey, turkey out, or something yeah. like that." Like yeah. we mentioned the grapefruits. There's a lot of good lingo happening in this scene. Yeah, but also Dottie just, uh, you know, Dottie's. Uh, Dottie's stone cold, and that's what you have to be as a catcher. I mean, it's interesting. I've been doing Bull Durham Minute where we have the catcher-pitcher relationship with uh, Crash and Nuke, and it is, you know, the catcher kind of has to be the big sibling in so many ways. It's it's interesting when you have a catcher who's a young catcher, what they must be saying to a veteran pitcher. But oh, you, yeah. you have here that the, uh, you know, you have to be, you have to be kind of stone cold in that. You know, this is your... She catch- tries to wiggle out of it. Jimmy's the one who's like, no, I know you... She essentially was managing the team until he stepped up. Yeah. Yeah. He knows she knows what she's doing. He makes her say to Kit's face, yeah, no, you you can't throw anymore. <laughs> yeah, and we also have, you know, Jimmy doesn't intervene in the fight until she's dragging her into the shower, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, letting the players take care of their own business there. But, yeah, there's Kit being a jerk. Ah, uh, now, see, I had a few print pricks of tears at the end of this. When she goes off, she says, I'm not here. If you're here, it's like I'm not here. And and the frustration where she's like, I know you're wrong. And, I, you know, yeah. she even kind of admits it. She's like, I know this is all my fault, but... I'm still sad and upset for all these reasons that have built up my whole life. And I realize that's not very professional baseball, but I think we're having very different reactions. <laughs> to, uh, well, I, I have I have a very overall reaction to Kit, I don't, but I've been, I'm waiting to, to get <laughs> do, into do that. Do we want to unleash you a little bit before the scene moves on? Would that help? <laughs> well, I have something that probably really surprises you about this movie. I first saw this movie on... If it wasn't its opening weekend, it was close to its opening weekend. I was taking uh, classes at USC. I went to NYU, but I was taking classes at USC and living with my then-girlfriend in Los Angeles for the summer. And we went to see every single movie pretty much either on opening weekend or close to opening weekend. And we saw this in a packed theater in near UCLA, and we both liked it a great deal. And uh, the second time I saw this movie from beginning to end was this morning. <laughs> okay. I uh, now I had seen clips, I, and I realized that like I had I saw it from beginning to end in the theater, and then I had of course seen clips of it, and I've been flipping around TV, and it's on. But I realized I hadn't sat down and watched it from start to finish until today since I saw it. So I'm coming at it from I, I'm my refreshing of it is obviously I want to I can't do one of these unless I've rewatched the film again. But I also was like, wow, I have to really refresh myself on so many things. And there were a lot of things in the film that I still really loved. Uh, there's a lot of the, the tone of the film I've always liked that it was 
it's not supposed to be a gritty, realistic film. It, there's, there's, it's being told from Dottie's point of view, older. It's basically, this is Dottie's memories from when she's an older woman thinking back at it. So obviously it's going to be told with her, a slant from her narration, if not her actual narration. So this is basically told from her perspective. And mm-hmm. there were things I remember getting a little frustrated about when I first saw it as the baseball nut and historian that I am. <laughs> not that they did that, you know, there were historical inaccuracies of like, you know, this team didn't play this or this team was in the playoff. I was frustrated that they named the character Harvey and didn't just call him Wrigley. Yeah, because, you know, we all know it's Wrigley Field. We all know that. I mean, like, why not have the characters? It's sort of like you can have a film which is based on historical events loosely where you have a couple of real characters show. The movie Glory is like that, where you have yeah. a couple of real characters who are in it. And then most of the soldiers were creations of the writer. But mm-hmm. if you had a couple of the, you know, the captain was the, the, the right name, the, the general was the right name, the, the, the Frederick Douglass is in a scene. And I kind of wish that they had Wrigley be named Wrigley. I wish that Jimmy Dugan was either Hack Wilson or Jimmy Fox, who were both uh, former players of the Cubs, who were both big drunkards, who both, uh, I know Jimmy Fox was a manager in the league and you know, instead of it being like, we created this character, Jimmy Dugan, like, no, Tom Hanks played Jimmy Fox. Just have yeah. him play that. You're so close. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, and yeah, did Jimmy Fox really do that? No, but Shoeless Joe didn't, Shoeless Joe didn't really come out through a cornfield either. You know, we're, we're, we're able to, <laughs> you know, and it would sort of, I'm sure a lot of people race to the baseball encyclopedia trying to look up Jimmy Dugan, you know, after seeing this movie. And I'm like, no, it would have been nice yeah. if it was Jimmy Fox, even if it wasn't completely, I mean, if, if you watch Marvelous Mrs. Mays, Marvelous, you know, Mrs. Maisel, you know, she interacts with Lenny Bruce. It wasn't like, you know, Leo Davy. You know, no, they created, he's mm-hmm. Lenny Bruce. And sometimes having those little touchstones of, well, no, that's a real person there, kind of sets it in a reality that's easier for me to, to swallow. But there are parts of it I really liked again. It's great use of Madonna. I had forgotten the whole Suds Bucket sequence where she's <laughs> dancing with everyone. That's a wonderful mm-hmm. scene where they're yeah. like, okay, how do we use Madonna in this film? Well, let's give her a really funny sidekick. And Rosie's amazing in the film. (laughs) And let's give her a chance to have moments where she shines. You know, teaching the teaching what's her face how to read um, <laughs> the, the dirt, the, dirty in the bus, in the dirty book in the bus, and and then having her repartee with Rosie is so perfect. And then she's still able to have her moments of stardom and having her dancing around. It's like, yeah, we got a rocks a music pop star that we're gonna use perfectly. And Tom is great. Gina's great. Obviously, Megan Cavanaugh is so great mm-hmm. as Marla. And I <laughs> forgot how much Eddie Jones as the the father just broke he just i started crying yeah. again watching that scene it was like you know i did my best like he's like so loves his daughter and they're great comedy beats like the reveal of marla singing to uh, uh <laughs> singing in the bar and everything and and we just gave her a dress yeah <laughs> and a lot of liquor <laughs> the, and shirley baker not being able to read her name and yeah. the montage the tryout montage is great mm. and the reason i'm saying all this right now is i'm building up the fact that i'm mostly positive about this movie when i lower the hammer of what i hated then and i hated this morning <laughs> and that's Lori petty I wrote a note, and this will get some people angry at me. And if you can hang up on me, it's your your call. <laughs> the note I wrote was Jar Jar Kit. <laughs> she is the Jar Jar Banks of this movie for me. I think she's terrible. Uh, no. I think I think she's <laughs> terrible. Not bad. I think she's terrible. And the fact that she's acting opposite Gina Davis and Tom Hanks, who are at their peak, and this is this is just peak Gina Davis right now. Yeah. She, she had just oh, done yeah. Thelma and Louise. She just won an Oscar a few years prior to that. I mm-hmm. hate her in every scene. I think she overacts. I think she whines. I do not believe anything that comes out of her mouth. Every time that she's in a scene, I slump. And I love everyone else in the film. Everyone. Tom Hanks is great. Gary Marshall's great. David Strathairn is wonderful. He's in this minute, the, the minutes that you sent me. Yeah. Obviously, Lovitz takes his part and he hits it out of the ballpark. <laughs> Bill Pullman's cameo is, he's fine. He's Bill Pullman. He does, he does what Bill Pullman does. <laughs> up and down the cast. Tracy Reiner, up and down the cast, I think are great. And I'm even fine 
mind when it gets, when there's something that's a little over-the-top comical, like Stillwell, you know, with chocolate all over his face and everything. That's funny. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, that's that's cool. I just, from the beginning, I just felt the kit is a whiner. I don't like how Lori Petty acts. There's no nuance to her performance. There's no, there's, I just, I just keep wanting to have her cut. And that's a big problem that I'm watching a film where it's predominantly a story of two sisters and I hate one of the sisters. So, yeah, I could see how that would uh, dampen your enthusiasm yeah. for the film a little bit. <laughs> and I wished that either... And, and I like Penny Marshall as a director. And I, I'm a huge fan of Big. I like Awakenings a lot. I like just about everything about this movie. And she is Jar Jar. She is Sophia Coppola in Godfather 3. She is that <laughs> absolute kidney stone in the middle of an otherwise wonderful movie for me. And I remember thinking that back in 92. And there have been a lot of times there's been something I didn't like and I revisited. And man, I just had the same reaction, which was, I, and I, I don't think it's the writing either. I blame her. You know, I think, you know, if they had a different actress in her, in, than her, I know Moira Kelly was considered oh, for the yeah. part or a couple other people were considered for the part. Man, I think she stinks in this film in an otherwise really good movie. It reminds me a little bit of, you know, I've been doing Bull Durham, of which they risked putting a tremendous amount of screen time with Tim Robbins, who at the time was a relatively unknown actor in a big part. It worked out. It worked out fantastic. (laughs) And in this one, you know, it was... I don't know. It just took me out every time she was at the, and even, even in this scene, I know she's supposed to be combative and I know that her character is supposed to be unnecessarily combative, but it just sort of added to my frustration with her that like, A, I don't like what the character is doing. And like when they traded her to Racine, I'm like, good, get her out of mm-hmm. here. Good. The, the team will get along fine and I won't have to yeah. watch her. And, and again, it's, it part of it is because I like the other, I mean, my God, I mean, I'm not a huge Madonna fan. I'm not a Madonna hater, but I'm not a huge Madonna fan. But you have her shining in the film. Rosie shining. Gina, obviously, is great. Tom Hanks is everyone. And I just, she really just stinks. In my opinion, I, I, I know I know that's harsh, but you know that's just my. Uh, I had the same reaction today, and it was. I really didn't want to. I really wanted to be like, ah, oh, do you know what? Now watching it again, that 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 that. No, no, still the same. her character is supposed to be annoying. It's fine. No, yeah. <laughs> no she's a quintessential not. kid sister. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. Maybe because I'm the kid brother. Maybe I didn't. Or maybe I'm. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'm the kid sister as well. Anyway, so. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I don't mean to throw a, a monkey wrench into everything here because I do really <laughs> like this movie. No. Yeah. Uh, but this is just... Uh, Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. Yeah. I have a casting question to throw out to people. Something I learned this morning myself. Penny, Penny's brother Gary plays Harvey. We, we mm-hmm. talked about him. There's a scene in this where he's talking to Ira Lowenstein. Uh, yeah. Gary was shot because she couldn't get the person she wanted and, uh, quote, my brother worked cheaper (laughs) the person she wanted she says chris that is blasphemy i will call him christopher walken yeah that's right as walter (laughs) harvey in a league of their own because then like when i was re-watching i kept trying to imagine it and i'm just like i I like christopher walken but i don't know (laughs) i think it probably would have worked fine for this reason i think that we remember when we a lot of times when we think of Christopher Walken, we think of kind of the exaggerated Saturday Night Live host. Oh you know, yeah, more cowbell. <laughs> and we forget the fact <laughs> that he is a remarkably talented actor. He's an Academy Award winning actor. Yeah. And yeah. Steven Spielberg tapped into that when he brought him into Catch Me If You Can. That there oh, is that a, he was good in that. He's wonderful oh, in that. That's and right. And you know that yeah. he's you know obviously he's become. There's a sort of a Shatner quality to him now that he's he's kind of become a caricature of himself and he's playing off the caricature. But at this point, I mean, he did he was in Batman Returns this year as Max Shrek, and he's fabulous mm-hmm. in Batman Returns. And he hadn't become Christopher Walken the character yet. He was still Christopher Walken the respected actor. Uh, yeah. I had heard James Coburn was a possibility as well, who I think would have been an interesting choice. Oh yeah, uh, as well. But I don't mind Gary Marshall in it. I the, he doesn't have to. Do he? You know, Gary Marshall will always make me laugh. I mean, he's he is one of my favorite comedy scenes in any movie. Is <laughs> his scene with Albert Brooks in Lost in America is just one of the funniest scenes ever. And also as the TV executive in Soap Dish, which he 
is oh. just he's off the charts funny. And so I like Soap Dish a lot too. That's kind of a a, a fun flipping around on cable. Well, let's watch that for twenty minutes type film. But he's really funny as the TV exec in that film, <laughs> and he's and he's good in this film. I mean, I think Walken or James Coburn would have given the role a little more gravitas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, but I, they wouldn't have been able to say peanuts like that. I, I love that part. <laughs> I know, and he wouldn't have been able to refer to his in-laws at the uh, uh, at the uh, at his oh. mansion. Uh, so to put us a little bit in real life, as we have mentioned, as you have mentioned, Harvey is Wrigley, Wrigley is Harvey, yep. Ira Lowenstein is Arthur Meyerhoff. They did yeah. not stray far from these apple trees. No. And uh, Then why not use their names? That's what drives me crazy. Why not just yeah. use their names in this point? You know, I mean, yeah, I know we've changed the players' names and everything, but like, why have this exist in this sort of weird Earth 2 environment? Why not just say their names? And <laughs> so if people look up the history of the league, they'll see the real person's name. Yeah. They'll see Jimmy Fox's name. They'll see. Wait, what's Ira's real name again? I forgot. I had um, Ar- Arthur uh, Meyerhoff. Yeah, so you'll you'll listen. You'll find out a little bit about him. Yeah. You know, of course, you'll you'll be really disappointed when you find out that you know Betty Spaghetti is a, is a creation of Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel. But I mean, it's <laughs> I, I'm I just. It, it frustrates me a little bit in that, but that, not so much as the presence of Lori Petty. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's two things that this little in between them sets up for the real life. Uh, one, we oh, mentioned yeah. the Rockfords have clinched the playoffs, which is a beautiful rewriting. I think the Peaches enjoy Earth 2 quite a bit more because in real life, they were the bottom of the league by 16 games yeah. that first 1943 season. Yeah. However, accurately, this scene is setting up what did happen, which is that Wrigley got out after the 1944 season. So he ran the league for two years. And then Arthur Meyerhoff, who was his advertising guy, took over, was there from 45 to 50. And he oversaw a lot of expansion. He did a lot of good for the league. He kept it going after the war, which is what I'm going to get up on my soapbox for in a moment. (laughs) But the problem is Arthur Meyerhoff does not have the money that Philip K. Wrigley does. Like, it's just a fact of life. And running baseball, uh, running a league, if you don't have the money to back it up, you can run into trouble. And so not all the expansion teams made it. Some (laughs) moved, some folded, it became a thing. And because the league was absorbing and sharing all these costs, the owners of the individual team started to say, well, my team's doing great. Why the heck am I still sending money to this team? Then blah, 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 blah. So they decided to go independent. And there were independent team owners. Basically, the league was kind of a name and tradition from 51 to 54. And the problem is that all that centralized promotion that was driving all these numbers to support the teams that were good disappeared overnight. And so 51 to 54, those teams ran on fumes. There are all these stories of players in 1953 showing up to games they hadn't been paid in three weeks. Uh, It got really nasty there towards the end. And the whole way that league folded is literally they played 54. They went home. 55, instead of doing spring training, they sold everything. Yeah. And like, if they got 50 bucks out, it was like, sweet. <laughs> it really was. But but Meyerhoff is the one that kept it going. Wrigley, after two years, it wasn't this whole, you know, the men are coming back from war thing. But he was just kind of like, I'm good here. I'm done. And he yeah. sold the league to Meyerhoff. Now, I have to climb up on my soapbox, I swear, just for a minute, because everyone knows this. In this scene, Ira Lowenstein predicts the 1950s. Yeah. And it, <laughs> what, what really pisses me off off is that Harvey has a point kind of in that when he says what should we do send the boys returning from war back to the kitchen yeah and it's just kind of like oh right and so my soapbox isn't that the they thought the men would come back from war and these women wouldn't play baseball anymore but that we have built a society that basically requires people to be in marriages and one person in the kitchen mm-hmm. <laughs> Regardless of who that person is. Right. Could we just think through, like, maybe packages shouldn't only be delivered during working hours and you have to sign for them because if people don't, if there isn't (laughs) someone home, how is that supposed to work? (laughs) I've literally chased FedEx trucks down streets. I mean, it is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that there's another two distinct 
forms of baseball died in the 50s. Everyone talks about the 50s as this glory era of baseball, mm-hmm. but I think that's only because for Mickey Mantle, maybe. Yeah, if, if you're, if you're, it's only because there was so much. It was the rise of TV and um, yeah. people were able to watch the Which World Series at home. Kill this, yeah, yeah and, exactly. I mean, and and that you saw that there was so much media attention was in New York. They looked at it as a glory time uh, for the rest of the country. It was like, yeah, okay, our team's not in it anymore. It was the end of the Negro Leagues, which was oh, alluded yeah. to in the previous minute where you had the woman, or the previous episode mm-hmm. where you had the black woman throwing the ball to Dottie and looking at her like, yeah, you're still segregated. We're out here. I could probably play with you too, but <laughs> you're not letting me yeah. in. Yeah. I've forgotten about that scene that they, they kind of subtly address it. Like, yeah, this is, uh, we're letting the women in, but guess what? Not all the women are being let in. And yeah. the Negro League stayed afloat for a little while after integration, but eventually all the best players wanted to play in the majors. There was yeah. there were several players in the Negro Leagues who were women who played alongside the men. Mm-hmm. I just watched Tony Stone the other day yeah. the play. It was really well done. Oh, I, I'm, I'm eager to see it. You saw that this was the end of so many things in baseball, the end of the Negro Leagues. A lot of the minor leagues folded, and you also saw, lest we forget in this glory time of baseball, this is when (laughs) teams started moving, because there was urban flight, and the population of the country was moving around all over the place, and guess what? The Dodgers didn't leave Brooklyn because they were making too much money in Brooklyn. You know, the Giants didn't leave, the Braves didn't leave, the A's didn't leave, because things were perfect. And so, there was a lot of people coming home, there was a lot of, you know, prosperity for certain groups of people, that they went to the suburbs and started watching TV on the television. They started watching baseball on the television. And there was the idea of these small, these towns that would be able to support a team. Even if it was a women's team and a Negro League team, that's what it was called, folks. I'm not saying it as a slur. And or even a minor league team suddenly became not feasible anymore. And so the the 50s meant the ending for a lot of local baseball. You saw a lot of, you know, teams unable to survive, not just in the women's league, the Negro leagues, the minor leagues, but also the major leagues. And this was the time where we're all supposed to be saying, oh, that was the glory days of baseball. Oh, why can't we get baseball back to then? Oh, you mean when leagues were being scrapped and teams were moving? That's what you want to go back to? But that's, of course, <laughs> baby boomer nostalgia. But that's uh, it's interesting that, that I wonder if there was – if the women's league had started at a – time when urban flight and television didn't completely hijack the how entertainment was done in America if it had happened during the depression if the oh, teams yeah. would have gotten a hold longer and we would have had women's baseball may have been able to survive I, do, I don't know the answer to that that is that's an earth too I'd like to visit more than <laughs> uh, changing Wrigley's name to Harvey <laughs> yeah. well one thing that they do change towards the end of the scene once we move into the house is that this movie movie will consistently refer to the World Series. Yeah. It was actually the Shaughnessy Series in the Girls League, but mm. I completely understand that change. Yeah. We do not have time to educate <laughs> the film-going public of 1992. It, it, I'm fine with them saying World Series. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, so... There is a deleted scene which makes this scene not make any sense. And Penny Marshall admits it. That's like the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. What was it? Originally, after this, before Lowenstein, before you he comes in more. and finds Dottie me, upset in you, there. You gotta give me something more than this. Before what? <laughs> Between the fight yeah. and Kit getting traded. Oh, okay, okay. Jimmy oh, yeah. is taking batting practice. Dottie goes out to watch him and says, hey, you're really good. And he says, you know, you're really good, too. They have a whole conversation about what's great about baseball is that it's hard and it gets inside you. That may sound familiar from later (laughs) in the movie. And then Jimmy kisses her. Oh, good. And that is why she is upset when Ira Lowenstein comes in. And that is why she wants to go home and leave the team. And somehow out of that, Ira trades kit to racine yeah i didn't like and Dottie stays on rockford i'm glad not yeah not resolving that problem whatsoever because doesn't ira in the deleted scene he kind of alludes to like is it because of jimmy like is that why you're leaving or you want to leave yeah it doesn't transition very well i i I like that Dottie's response when he kisses her she kisses back a little but she stops it what she says is i thought you liked me 
And I really like that for their friendship and how they relate to each other. Where she's like, I thought we were two people who love baseball, who are friends talking baseball, and now you're kissing me? What the, you know. Yeah. That I liked, but not at the expense of having a love interest aspect in this movie. (laughs) No, I'm glad that seems cut out because also I never questioned for a second what was happening when when Ira comes in. It's like, yeah, she's like, like, you know what? I'm causing trouble with my sister. I got it. I don't even want to. I'm here because of her. I don't even want to be here anymore. And when he's because of Jimmy, I just thought that was a throwaway line. Like, oh, is it because uh, he's he's a big drunk? Is that like, like, uh, because he threw out like, was it because of May? Because he was throwing a lot of different he's so desperate to to like who do i need to talk to about this so he's throwing a bunch of stuff out Uh, no 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 to have the best two of the best moments in the film are him sharing the jaw with her in the dugout Mm, and the two of them (laughs) talking you know he said this sort of like oh there's he's good he's good looking and and smart there's not a lot Mm -hmm. of us around but that wasn't (laughs) a that wasn't a flirty line. Come on. That was that no. was yeah. that, that was a- the two of them, you know, sharing a moment together. Oh, and I yeah. think that would have just that would have been the Kylo kissing Ray moment of this film that just would not have made <laughs> sense. And we could argue all day long about how that was more justified than Jimmy kissing Dottie. Oh, do, you, do you what? You're, pro- you're probably right. You're probably right. Uh, I, you know, now that you mentioned that, you're probably right. But yeah, we get a scene in the house. This house, by the way, was like my dream. Once oh. I up yeah. a little bit from wanting to live on the boat from Joe's versus the volcano. <laughs> I wanted to live in this house where a bunch of cool girls play baseball in the hallway all day. <laughs> but yeah, Kit does property damage and oh. says the B word. Yeah. It was a big day for uh, little Tierney watching this. Yeah, this is, I mean, sister fights cut deep. I, oh, I, yeah. I think this makes perfect, both of them make sense in this scene to me. Like, why everyone is upset, why everyone is yelling, all makes sense to me. <laughs> In a way that it wouldn't with that cutscene. Yeah, no, no, that yeah. added that added an unneeded uh, wrinkle. Do you know what this house reminds me of? It reminds me of Susan Sarandon's house in Bull Durham. It's that kind of old, like the old wallpaper and the pictures on the wall. <laughs> it's like this is uh, this was Andy's home. It's a little bigger than Andy's home. Like Andy's home is not a boarding house, but uh, yeah. it's only. A, but it kind of it reminded me like the doorway and the hallway and the stairs. It's that old sort of timeless big old house feel that that Annie has at her home. Maybe it's because I'm watching that film a minute at a time. Everything <laughs> everything reminds me of that film. That'll, that'll do it. Everything <laughs> reminds you. The the things that stood out to me in this house, I'll just run them through them really quickly. Alice's Canadian accent yeah. gets a shout out. May's borough dress is infamous. Yeah. Um, and apparently Madonna was smoking honey cigarettes. Never occurred to me that Madonna huh. would be the one being like, oh, I don't smoke. But wow. apparently those were honey cigarettes. And then, of course, at the end, Ellen's infamous new red hat. Oh, yeah. piss on your hat. <laughs> oh, piss on your hat. God, I love Gina Davis in this film. I can't picture... Yeah. I can't picture Deborah Winger in this part. I know Deborah Winger. No. Was, I, mm, I yeah. know that Gina was a last-minute sort of replacement for Deborah Winger. And yeah. again, Deborah Winger is a fine actress, but I like that you have Gina Davis has. It's you know, of course, she's paired perfectly with Susan Sarandon in Tom and Louise, but she has a very distinct look to her that you could. She is. She looks like she is an athlete. She's quite beautiful, mm-hmm. but she's very distinct looking and very kind of unusual looking and that she has great obviously she's got great dramatic chops but she has great comedic claiming that is very quirky I mean, that's mm-hmm. when she won her Oscar for, what's it called? The, uh, the accidental tourist, where she played basically, you know, the queen of quirky women. But even, even when films where she doesn't play, you know, she's not required to be an unusually weird person, whether it's the fly or Beetlejuice that the, you know, the, the environment around her is unusual. Mm. She brings something unexpected. It's that Diane Keaton quality, which she brings a, like a delivery that you're not a hundred percent expecting or a look that you're not expecting oh, yeah. that catches you off guard. That is, I was brought, you know, Diane Keaton is one thing, but it's almost a Jack Nicholson quality, which you're like, okay, you, you know, Jack will read a line that is just on page. Well, okay. And the way he reads it is, Oh, I wasn't expecting that inflection or that sort of turn of the head while she's do while he's doing it. And Gina does that really wonderfully. And it's funny that I was thinking of both Diane Keaton and Jack, you don't normally think, oh, Gina Davis reminds me of Jack Nicholson, but she has that quality, which is she's doing something slow 
slightly off sync, which makes it makes her performance and her character so much more interesting than if they got someone who just did it exactly the way you're expecting. And again, as serendipitous, I have no idea how good Deborah Winger would have been. Maybe she would have been spectacular, but I'm so glad that she's not in it. <laughs> My thing that I came down, yours is better articulated Hollywood actor-wise, but there is a hardness, a competitor that you see in Gina Davis that oh, I yeah. do not see in Deborah Winger, which to yeah. be fair, I've only seen Deborah Winger in very different roles, but <laughs> yeah. Deborah Winger does not strike me as the strong jawed type yeah, <laughs> at exactly. any level. You need someone, for, for Dottie, you need someone who's got a little bit of that edge, mm-hmm. a little bit of that hardness to her. I'll just say it in one shot. Picture Deborah Winger catching the ball with her bare hand thrown by Madonna. <laughs> yeah. can't, you, I can't do it. And Gina Davis, that's one of the <laughs> iconic shots of the movie, is her just doing it and she yeah. doesn't even flinch. And you buy that. And that you need moments like that that you buy, that that's what makes the parts of this film work, work. You know, and I do buy her as the big sister, and I do buy her as oh, the person yeah. who is when she says like, "Oh, I'm, you know, what's the line?" Uh, she's saying that you know, you'll tell me why I'm wrong for doing this too while they're screaming, and every all the players, you know, Rosie O'Donnell is relaying the information down the stairway to everybody. <laughs> Ro- yeah, <laughs> God, Rosie was you know because no one knew who the hell she was when this film came out, and so I love no. people who are introduced like this. It's like we're going to give this, you know, she was a stand-up comedian at the time and said we're going to give you the chance to just have all these great lines and when people left the movie they were like who was that you know it kind of made her career in that way and pairing her up with madonna was i mean so serendipitous and so perfect i mean they were i want to say i'd like to see the two of them do a movie together but the fact of the matter is you get the perfect amount of them it's the perfect sort of rosencrantz and gildenstern that you need in a film like this you know they're the r2 and 3po of this movie and um um, i'll I'll make all right now we know our first t-shirt rachel (laughs) yes (laughs) by the way have we talked have you talked at all about how there's sort of what this was in tom hanks's career that that kind of the parallel with him, the pivot. Well, yeah, that he, that that he a- was. He was. It, I mean, he wasn't the fall down drunk like Jimmy Dugan, but he needed this comeback. Yeah, and there was something almost meta about him going back to the last person he had a hit with, which was Penny Marshall. Yeah. You know, because he had after Big, she it, refers to this as his first grown up. Yep, yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I know it breaks your heart to hear that Joe versus the Volcano was not a, a box office hit when it came out, but he had done Bonfire of the Vanities, which is a rancid film. It's a fascinating book made about it called The Devil's Candy, um, but Tom Hanks was incredibly miscast in this whole film, which was just a massive misfire. And it's hard to, it's hard to recollect just the fact that he was kind of, his career was kind of in the, in the toilet, or if not in the toilet, he was not, he he was kind of a, all right, he had some hits in the 80s, and he was on the verge of being Steve Gutenberg, you know, <laughs> just a guy who was in some films. And um, Steve Gutenberg was in some good movies like Diner and Cocoon, and he wasn't, not everything was Police Academy. Uh, but, you know, he was on the verge of fading out like that. And then this film comes along. And he goes on as big a winning streak as I can ever remember <laughs> an actor going on, you know, between this to the point where he became such a movie star that he could make a $200 million blockbuster or he's on a beach talking to a goddamn volleyball and, it, and everyone <laughs> is transfixed. And I love that movie. I love Castaway. Yeah. Um, oh, but yeah. I, yeah. God bless anyone who tries to do Castaway Minute, but still, <laughs> this is the film that turned that around for him. And he... I think that we need films like this every once in a while. Like we had this with Michael Keaton with Birdman that we need a film that reminds us why this is why we did a couple of years later. We had this with Travolta in Pulp Fiction was came out what two years after this where you need, you need something every once in a while to jolt you going, Oh, that's why I like you. Yeah. That's why you're good. (laughs) You know, we had that with Renee Zellweger this last year with when she played Judy Garland. It's like, Oh yeah, you're, you're still Renee. Oh, that's good to have you back. 
you know, the biggest example of that ever was Brando in The Godfather because he had mm-hmm. he was box office poison for ten years and then suddenly he does The Godfather and going, oh my god, you're still Brando. <laughs> but this was, I think, a lot of people. I mean, Gina is the star of this movie. I know yeah. Tom Hanks gets top billing, but Gina is the star of this film. Everyone was surprised how funny Madonna was. Who the heck was her sidekick? But everyone else said, like, oh yeah, Tom Hanks, he's great, <laughs> isn't he? And man, he went on a Joe DiMaggio streak after this where he just he couldn't misfire. So you're saying Turner and Hooch was not his dramatic breakout role. <sighs> you don't know <laughs> this man. <laughs> dramatic? No, no nor, nor the Burbs. I'm not saying every film he did in between that was bad. I like Joe yeah. versus the Volcano and the Burbs definitely has laughs in it, but mm. he he was not at between Big and this was you know, there was He was just doing stuff. He yeah, yeah. he was he yeah. was you know, he was treading water. Yeah. And uh, this made people sit up and remember it. So, yeah, that's... Uh, now it's on all those top 10 baseball movie lists, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. can only save three and all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, just wrapping up here with me. I was going to say, I think you have a different choice for best baseball well, movie, yeah, I given d- that I, you I, do I, an yeah. entire podcast <laughs> yeah. on, on Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's odd that that is in some ways less judgmental to women than this film is sometimes. I mean, they're really mean to Marla, you know, they're, they're really mean to uh, Marla in a lot of this. And, you know, I mean, we were, you know, when you were on Tierney, we were just talking about how sort of progressive and it's it's a lot about Nuke finding his feminine yeah. side. No mm. one tells Annie, I don't know why you bother getting dressed at all. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's yeah. no, there's none, that, and no, no one, one even tells Millie that. Yeah, no one tells Millie that. Yeah, the the only person who has any sort Millie of Millie who is introduced naked in the film. <laughs> no judgment. Nope, it's beautiful. No, there's no judgment for anybody here. But uh, yeah, and I, 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 this is a good one. I mean, I think of the best ones. I have. You have to almost remember sometimes when you saw a film. Like oh, so many yeah. people have said Bad News Bears, and I didn't see Bad News Bears when it came out. I saw it way, way later. And so if I saw it when I was younger, it probably would have meant more to me. I, I still admire the hell out of it. But, you know, I saw The Natural when I was 12 years old, and I, I mm. just, it blew me away when I was a 12-year-old boy. So I probably exaggerate its value, uh, and I probably toned down the value of Bad News Bears because I didn't see it when I was the right age to see it. So, uh, and I saw Bull Durham when I was in the middle of puberty. But I step but breaking down Bull Durham a minute at a time, I do believe it really holds up. And and I think if I broke this down a minute at a time, I think I would really, really like it, except for Kit. That'd be a lot of Kit for you to handle. Yeah, yeah I couldn't break I couldn't deal with her minute by minute. I really couldn't. It would drive me crazy. It absolutely drive me crazy. Well, I'm glad you survived I did. the sixth inning, as we're calling it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of Kit, but that's all right. And it's she's right. off to Racine. You're, yep. you're yeah, all good. Yeah, give me the next one when she's not in it. But ah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so mean. <laughs> I know, I know. But you know, I, everyone else in it is so good. You know, and I, when I did my in memoriam video. I do every year for at the All-Star Game for the people we've lost in the last mm-hmm. year. And they're mainly players and some coaches and some, you know, managers and scouts and, th- and and announcers. And I included Penny Marshall when she died and also the members of the league who had died. You mm-hmm. know, I'd show them. But I, I had to include Penny Marshall because oh, yeah. the number of people who know the existence of this league when it came, before it came out, as opposed to afterwards. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, it's exponential. And if anyone try to explain what it is, it's from a league of their own. Oh, yeah. You know, this film was a massive hit when it came out. Mm-hmm. But it also, it shone the light on some on a story which people didn't know. Oh, and yeah. I figured that was worth it. So I'm going to close on that. There you go. All right. Tell people where they can find you. And then we're kicking you out and moving on to the next scene, which, yes, is... Lori Pettyless. <laughs> okay, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sully Baseball, and you can subscribe to Boulder a Minute wherever you get your podcast. The first few episodes featured uh, a certain turn of steel, and I'm going to have you back <laughs> in the final episodes as well Woo-hoo. to get your thoughts. Uh, I also host the show Locked On MLB which is a daily baseball discussion. Yes, even in the middle of the COVID-19, <laughs> yeah. we're, st- we're still churning them out, five new ones a week. Uh, and I am also do all the behind the scenes for Real Crime Profile, which is a real crime podcast, which I'm not on, but I do the behind the scenes stuff for, which is a podcast produced through the Wondery Network. And so those are all the places, but mainly go to Sully Baseball on Twitter and I post all my stuff on there. And there you go. 
Beautiful. And people, you know where to find us. We're on social media. We exist. It's very exciting. Yes. Uh, the season is going along. I love at the very beginning of this inning, we saw a game where you just could feel how hot it was and how late <laughs> in the summer it was. Yeah. I love that in a baseball movie. Mm-hmm. I love when you hit that point where it's just like, baseball's great, but man, AC would be nice right now. Yeah. Have it in the dome. Have a stretch, get some refreshments, and join us right back here for the bottom of the sixth. Next time on A League of Their Own, one inning at a time.